We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 this morning in our Bibles, if you'd be finding that, the first chapter of the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. Christmas means, I think, in some ways, uh, similar things to all of us, but all of us have unique memories of Christmas and traditions of Christmas. And I was just thinking uh, during the service today as I was singing and thinking about what Christmas means to people that um, with the exception of, um, you know, my brothers, I guess, all the people that uh, I have Christmas, my earliest Christmas memories of are gone. Parents are gone. Grandparents are gone. Most aunts and uncles are gone. Um, so memories matter, and I'm glad we have those memories. And for some people, this Christmas will be ex exceptionally difficult because they'll have their first Christmas without people that mean a great deal to them. So we ought to be mindful of that on one hand and pray for one another and uh, also uh, just make the most of the season. Make memories that can stay with you uh, throughout your life. But for many of us here, with all the things that our Christmas uh, traditions center around family and friends and gatherings and seeing lights and all that kind of stuff. The message of Christ remains really the primary focus of the season because it's something that all of us can relate to and it's something that means so much to all of us. And so we're going to look at Matthew's narrative here uh, concerning the birth of Christ. In Matthew chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 18. And if you're able to stand, I'd invite you to stand with us for the reading of the scripture today, beginning in verse 18. The word of God says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. It's a shameful thing. Here she was, not formally married, even though she was espoused to Joseph, and to be with child. And thinking of her, he thought, we'll just you know, put her in a place of seclusion, avoid that embarrassment. But verse 20 says, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet prophet Isaiah, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had, the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took him unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he 
Joseph called his name Jesus. We're going to talk today about Jesus. That's a good topic, isn't it? Name above all names. Let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you for your word. Bless as we study it together. A lot of thoughts compete for our attention at moments like this. Lord, I pray today that you'd help us to give our attention to your word, to the truths contained in your word and their significance in our lives. May you be glorified and honored. And may we be helped, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let's begin by just uh, refreshing our memory about Mary and Joseph. Uh, they were committed to each other, of course, to be married. We would say in our modern vernacular they were engaged, but they were more than engaged. Uh, it's more serious, a commitment, a covenant there uh, in New Testament times. Though they were not formally engaged, they were considered husband and wife. They were called that, husband and wife, because they were betrothed, we would say, or espoused to one another. And even though they remained, as young people should, morally pure in their relationship with each other, Mary was with child. You can imagine how difficult that is. For her to be with child and having not been formally married, uh, Joseph, as I said earlier, I think Joseph wanted to protect her from the shame associated with that. But in the midst of that, while he's pondering these things, an angel came to visit uh, Joseph. We read about that in verse 20, um, where this angel begins to instruct him and says to him in the last part of verse 20, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now, what does that mean? That means that She's with child, and it's a miracle because she is a morally pure virgin. She's with child, but God is the one that did that inside her, conceived of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God has performed this miracle. Um, Luke writes about the angel Gabriel visiting Mary earlier, telling her that she would give birth. And this is, this is what is recorded in Luke's gospel. Let me read it to you. It says, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now, I'm still amazed at this. I'm absolutely amazed at the miracle of the virgin birth, that she would bring forth a son. That's what it says in verse 21 of our text, the angel speaking, and she shall bring forth a son. And then he quotes from this Old Testament prophet um, in verse 21 and verse 22. And I'd like for us to hold our place here in Matthew 1, if we could, and turn to the book of Isaiah. In the Old Testament, the first of the major prophets, you have... Um, Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon. And then you have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. So we're in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to read just two verses. This is what the angel, as the angel spoke to Mary, he quoted from this passage. Uh, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Therefore... 
Isaiah wrote, The Lord himself shall give you a sign. This will be a sign unto you. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that was the same name, one of the names that the angel gave to Joseph there in uh, Matthew's record. Now, turn to the right to one, probably a page or so, to Isaiah chapter 9. Just another verse that's so relevant to what we're talking about today. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Keep in mind, Isaiah wrote this 700 years before Jesus was born. What a coincidence, right? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Let's go ahead and read part of the seventh verse. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it. So this is what, let's go back to Matthew chapter 1. This is what the angel was referring to in verse 22 when he says to Joseph, All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. So this was no ordinary birth, right? This was no ordinary baby. Born of a virgin 2,000 years ago in a manger in a city of Bethlehem, really a village of Bethlehem. But he was not an ordinary baby. He was not mortal. He had a human body of flesh, but he was not mortal. His name is Emmanuel. Like I said, we're going to really talk about that more tonight. God with us. That means he was God revealed in human flesh. He was divine. He was eternally existent. He had no beginning. He made everything that is. He spoke the worlds into existence. This little baby in, the, in time past had no beginning. He was the son of God eternally the eternal Son of God miraculously conceived in the womb of a virgin young lady. This is not an isolated record of this. This is what the Bible teaches really throughout. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 3, God was manifest in the flesh. Isn't that something? God was manifest in the flesh. In John chapter 1, talking about the Word, it says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the Word that was God. It later says in John chapter 1, was made flesh and dwelt among us. Elizabeth, uh, the mother of John the Baptist, when she was with Mary before um, John the Baptist was born and before Jesus was born, she referred to Mary as the mother of my Lord. She knew that. She knew who was in that womb. It was God, her Lord. We refer to that as the incarnation. The word became flesh. When the angels, and we're not going to turn to that today, but in Luke's gospel, when the angel 
appeared to these shepherds to tell them that the Savior was born in Bethlehem. This is what the angel said, Unto you is born this day in the city of David, not just a baby, a Savior, which is Christ. Christ Messiah, Christ the Anointed One, Christ the Lord, He's God. That baby, that baby born in that manger is God. So there's no question this morning in my mind, and I trust in your mind, about the identity of the baby. He's not just another baby. And in Matthew chapter 1, we're going to focus now on the name he was given in verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So the angel informed Joseph and Mary, by the way, that his name had already been chosen. Every time I think about this, read about this, I think about all that goes into naming a child, you know, um, and all the people search and what's popular and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Well, these people, imagine the disservice to these people. They didn't even get to name their first child. The angel said his name will be called Jesus. In Luke's gospel, the angel told Mary. Here we have the angel speaking to Joseph, but the angel told Mary in Luke's gospel, call his name Jesus. And if you look at the very last verse of our text in verse 25, it says that Joseph, he, and knew her not, Joseph knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. Now, Jesus is a name that's used fairly commonly now, sometimes, unfortunately, profanely it is used. But what a name. What a name. You know, we, we're, most of us are familiar with a song, What a Lovely Name, the name of Jesus. It is a lovely name. We sing this song sometimes, sometimes in our congregation, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Amen. There is something really something about that name. Paul said something about this name writing to the church in Philippi in chapter 2 when he talked about Jesus and he said this, I'll just read from the text, and being found in fashion as a man, talking about Jesus, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I don't understand how that's going to happen, but I know it's going to happen. That every knee, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's going to be something to behold, isn't it? You say, well, I'll never confess him as Lord. Yes, you will. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess so in our text, back to our text in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, 
The angel is explaining the reason for this name. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, when we think of the name of Jesus, we think of a lot of things, probably. If, uh, a lot of Hispanic people are called Jesus. They, they, that's a common name in, in uh, Latin American culture. They may think of that. We think of a baby in the manger. We think of a lot of things when we think of the name Jesus. But when the angel announced the name and when God gave the name, there was only one reason he gave that name. And that's because of what that name means. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means Jehovah saves. Jesus means God saves. That's what Jesus means. It means Savior. If, if we've done this before, we'll not do it now. But there are literally dozens of names in the Bible given to Jesus. I mean, from Rose of Sharon and, and uh, El Shaddai, the, you know, the great victor. The, he's given so many names, but this is the primary name of Jesus. And I want us to really understand today what it means. It means Savior. He came to save us from our sins. Now, as I'm preparing this and I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about it even now, I realize that some people may not see the significance of this because they don't see the significance of sin. So they don't really understand what's the big deal. He came to save us from our sins. Well, let's just think about it in this, in this light this morning. What is man's greatest problem? Now, I know some people would say man's greatest problem is poverty. And some people would say man's greatest problem is disease. People have their own idea of what's man's greatest problem. And those are real problems. But from what we understand from the Bible and what we know about ourselves, we know that man's greatest problem is sin. That's man's greatest problem. Since, since the first man sin, sinned, Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, sin has been transferred to the entire human race. We talked about this Friday night in our um, hope Bible study about the devastating effect of sin, what sin does. And, and, you, and no matter who the person is, no matter where they're born, no matter what their environment is, no matter what their culture is, no matter what language they speak, no matter what their social status is, every single person since Adam and Eve have something in common. And that something they have in common is we're all sinners. All of us have sinned. We're guilty before God, every last one of us. And so sin is a big problem. And not just the fact that we've sinned, but sin has brought such harm and such devastation into the world. It's hurt individuals. It's hurt families. It's destroyed relationships. It's caused emotional pain for many reasons because people who've been sinned against and because people who have committed sin. The emotional pain of guilt and shame. All these are the effects of sin. 
We see what it does to families. We see what it does to individuals. We see what it does to children. We see what it does to adults. We see what it does to leaders. But the most damaging effect of sin is not even what it does on a human level. It's what it does on a spiritual level. Because sin affects our relationship to God. And there's nothing more important in life than that. Than our relationship to God. My wife made several visits yesterday and talked to people uh, at their door about just inviting them to church and giving them a gospel track and a gospel witness. And, and we see this so much, so much in our society, even in our enlightened society, even our society that has been, that has been filled with gospel influence, even in our society, people don't understand what it is to have a relationship with God. People don't understand what sin does. Sin separates people from God. Sin is our greatest problem. It separates us from fellowship with God. And, and just to put that in perspective, I mean, why, why would it do that? Because we have, to, we have to back up and just think for a moment about who God is. God is holy. God is pure. God cannot sin. He's never sinned. He can't conceive of sin. God is altogether holy and pure. God's heaven is a holy place. No sin can enter into it. God cannot, God cannot fellowship with when, when there's sin in the equation. And so it separates us from God. You know, we've all heard people say, well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person or, you know, I think they were a good person. Well, it doesn't matter how good we may think we are or how good we may actually be. We're still sinners. We've still broken God's law. Not a person in this room, not one person in this room, nor does anybody that you and I know, nobody could say, I've not broken any of God's commandments. We've all broken God's law. We're all sinners. That's pretty negative. It's not negative. I'm positive about it. We're all sin. I mean, that's, it's not a pleasant thing to think about it, but it's reality. We're sinners. It's an, you know what the amazing thing about this is? It's not the fact that we're sinners. The amazing thing to me is that God would come down to where we are to help save us. That's the amazing thing. Because we've all broken God's law. We've all been rebellious and stubborn toward God. And you and I, may, may, because of our fallen nature, we may not think that's a big deal, but that is a major deal. That is a big deal. And it's just, a, it's just an evidence of our, our carnality and our depravity that we don't recognize how big a deal it is. So you talk to people about the fact they've sinned against God and they don't even think that matters. It does matter. So sin separates us from God. It separates us from God's will. One of the greatest, most devastating things about sin is people live their entire life and never know what it is to be in the plan that God had for them because of sin. And here's the worst of it all. Without salvation, man will be separated from God forever. It would be bad enough if when you came to the end of your life, you breathed your last breath, your heart 
beat for the last time and you laid lifeless in a grave and that was the end of it, that would be bad enough to live your life without God. But here's the truth. When any person dies and their body lays in that grave, that person lives forever somewhere. And those who are forgiven of their sin, those who are saved, will live forever in heaven. But those who have not received Christ, those who have not bowed to the King, those who have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ will live forever and ever in a place the Bible calls hell. Is that right or wrong? It's true. You say, why do you believe that? I believe it because the Bible teaches it. I believe it because Jesus believed it. If it's good enough to Jesus to believe it, we ought to believe it too. So sin doesn't just separate us from God for a while. It separates us from God forever. So what? back to this name, this name Jesus. Why did he call him Jesus in verse 21? Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus, that's why Jesus came, young person. He came to save us from our sins. He came through the avenue of the virgin birth. God himself became a man in human flesh. Now why did he do that? This this is mind-blowing. He did that to pay for your sins and to pay for my sins. You know, the song comes to my mind, Born to die upon Calvary. That's what he was born for. It's such a disservice to think of Jesus only in terms of a babe in the manger and think about, you know, his birthday. And, you know, we don't know when the day of the month or year Jesus was born. That's not the important thing. The important thing is he was born. And why was he born? He was born to die for your sins. And for my sins. That's why he came into this world. There had to be a sacrifice for sin. There had to be a sacrifice. God cannot just ignore sin. So there had to be a sacrifice for sin. But it couldn't just be any sacrifice. It had to be a perfect sacrifice. A pure sacrifice. And it had to be an eternal divine sacrifice. It had to be God himself had to come to this earth. To die for our sins. And the God who cannot sin, the God who would not sin, came to this earth in the form of a man, born of a virgin, a little child. He came to to give his life as a sacrifice for our sin. And he eventually went to the cross. And what he did on the cross was he took our sins upon his own body. He took your sins, your sins on his own body. Every thought you and I have ever made, every word we've ever said, every foolish, prideful action we've ever done, every one of those, every every immoral, indecent, vulgar thing we've ever done was placed on the body of God who became a man that He could suffer for our sins. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? Sin had to be judged, and Jesus took our judgment upon himself and died. We heard that in the songs this morning. He died for our sins, but thank God it didn't end there. He raised on the third day. 
He came to save us from our sins. I like the Christmas season. I like the food. I like the songs. I like the lights. Did I say I like the food? I like the Christmas season. We need a little hope and joy in our world, don't we? But if all it is to you is just a few days off of work or a few days off of school or time to get together with family and overeat and play games, and I'm not against playing games and overeating, but it's much more than that. It's about God. It's about God who loved fallen humanity so much that he didn't send someone else as a sacrifice. He sent his own son as a sacrifice. And I think if we could capture that and just maintain that, it would just make this season even richer than it already is. He came to save us from our sins. And how can we be saved then? You know, everyone on the planet today seven billion plus people on the planet living today could be saved from their sin because Jesus paid for all their sins are all of those people going to go to heaven no you say how do you know that because Jesus said that broad is the way that leads to destruction and many there be that find it. And Jesus said, straight is the way and narrow is the gate that leads to life everlasting and few there be that find it. You say, preacher, do you think everybody in this room is going to go to heaven? I would hope so. But it would be foolish for me to think that that's so. Because just, know, just the fact that Jesus died for your sins doesn't make you a Christian. Doesn't make you a saved person. It doesn't mean your sins are forgiven. Matter of fact, just because you know that Jesus died for you, just because you know that you've sinned, just because you know that Jesus came born of a virgin and He was God in the flesh, just because you know He raised on the third day does not mean you're a Christian. You must personally receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You must come to Jesus Christ. You must put your faith in Him. Salvation, we say this often here, but salvation is not in any religion. It's not in a system. It's in a person. You've got to come to Jesus. People say, we've got to come through the mother of Jesus. No, you come directly to Jesus with a repentant heart and say, I'm guilty of my sin. I know I've sinned. I've broken your laws, I'm guilty, I'm separated from God. Sin has separated me, but I want to be forgiven. You've got to come to Jesus on your own. You've got to receive his gift. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know you're saved? Have you been born again? I don't know. We don't know. One person to another who's saved or who's not saved. But I know this, salvation is in a person, in Jesus Christ. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. 
And I'm not here to make people doubt whether they're saved or not. You ought, to, you ought to examine your own heart. This is what the Bible says. Let a man examine himself, whether it be in the faith. You ought to examine yourself. Have I really been saved? Have I truly been born again? Your sins can be forgiven. Your sins can be not just forgiven, but cleansed. Isn't that an amazing thing? Cleansed. That means like they never were there. You may remember it, but God doesn't remember it. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? That's how complete and absolute and perfect the sacrifice of Christ is. But it's in Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts, it says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We don't have to carry the guilt and shame of sin. And we may have to deal with the consequences of it, but we don't have to carry the guilt of it. There's just something about laying your head on your pillow at night or going through your day and knowing this, that before God I'm clean. I've been forgiven, I've been cleansed, I've been washed. And that's not because we're Baptists, it's not because we're in church, it's because we've received Jesus Christ as our Savior. Have you received Him as your Savior? Have you believed on Him today? We shouldn't be ashamed of Him, amen? We shouldn't be ashamed of that name. I think a person could say this and think this and what you know if if that's if all you're saying is true and, and and salvation comes by putting your faith in Christ why would a person why would we you know in our case 45 years ago we got came to the Lord why would we still be so excited about it because I'm still amazed that God would forgive me and accept me it has nothing to do with me, but it has everything to do with Jesus. It's just Jesus, right? It's just Jesus, but you have to have Jesus, and you have to personally receive Him as your Savior. I was, I was preaching in a revival meeting a couple of weeks ago, and it was the last night of the revival. The service was over. I was talking to the pastor, and some people were around. And, and this boy walked up to me. He was about, I'm bad at ages, but I'm going to say eight or nine or whatever. And he said, are you, are you all leaving tonight? And I said, no, we're leaving in the morning. Uh, we'll be heading home. And he reached out his hand and gave me this it's a dollar bill it looked just like that had it crumpled up in his hand and I didn't want to take it I didn't want to take it now if it had been a thousand dollar bill I'd want to take it <laughs> but I could not take it because and it wasn't just because I felt like I needed a dollar it was because he needed to give it to me. And if I wouldn't have taken it, 
then I would have done a disservice to him. God gave his son for you. And if you don't take it, not only are you going to go to hell if you don't receive him, but you're doing a great disservice to the one who gave everything for you. And I think there are people here today that need to be saved. And for some, it's going to mean swallowing your pride and what your friends think about you or your, what your wife or husband thinks about you and saying, I need to get saved. I don't want to say no to the greatest gift that's ever been given to me. And that's what you're doing if you say no to Jesus. And you can do that where you sit. You can come up here and talk to me, which I would encourage you to do, and say, I need somebody to help me go through this. But you, could do, you ought to do that today. And if you're here today and you've, you know you're saved and you remember when you got saved and you, maybe not the date, but you know what happened. And you ever find yourself taking all that for granted, it'd be good to remember why we're saved. Because of that name. I shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And I, we are blessed people. Just look around us, our country, our family, our friends. We're blessed people. But if we lived with nothing and we died and went to heaven, what a blessed and rich people we would be. Amen. Let's stand together, please, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're able to stand. Jesus' name above all names. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Everyone in this room, I would challenge today just to take a few moments and sincerely meditate upon what Jesus has done for us. And if you're here today and you're not saved, you've never been born again, you don't know you're going to heaven, you ought to come today. I'll meet you right here at the front. Even if it's to come to say, Preacher, I prayed this prayer today and I received Christ and I asked him to save me, just come tell me so we can rejoice with you. But if you need some help, and lots of time people do need help, would you come? Young person, would you come today? Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the wonderful, wonderful name. Jesus, for what it means, for what it stands for, what it means to us personally, what it means to those that we love, we thank you for it. And Father, I pray today if there's one here that's uncertain about their salvation experience, not sure they're saved, God, would you work in their hearts? Father, may all of us spend these moments truly thanking you for the great gift of salvation because of Jesus.